Okay, we're going to read from Titus chapter 2, the first five verses. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You can be seated. We bring you greetings this morning in Jesus' name. Before I begin with the uh, sermon, I'd just like to highlight one more announcement. You notice in your bulletins that there's going to be a program here this afternoon rather than this evening. The uh, CBS first-term students are in the area this weekend and will be giving several programs, uh, one at Pequay this morning, Pequay Church, and uh, be here this afternoon. I think there's 60-some students going to be here, so I'm looking forward to uh, a good program Cliff Stoltzfus, attending Peckway, is the director of that course. And uh, the reason we're having a program in the afternoon, there's people gathered together from other states, and that gives them a chance to still get home today after the program and be back for tomorrow morning. So I'm looking forward to that. I encourage you to be here. Uh, 3.30 this afternoon should give you time to get in a quick nap. Still get here to enjoy the program and still have your evening open. So I guess you get the best of uh, all options here today. For the sermon this morning, I'd like to focus on a specific group of people. Sometimes we have sermons for fathers or for mothers or for youth or remember several sermons we had here for singles. And each of these groups are very significant. But there's another very significant group that I would like to address specifically this morning. Uh, Last Sunday morning after the service, Jonathan Raber was here and I was uh, visiting with him a bit. And as we were visiting, he mentioned this group specifically as a group that stood out to him in our congregation. It's also a group that stands out to Martha and I that we talk about from time to time. And I'm talking about the group that is represented by the people sitting on the three benches here right behind the young people this morning. Now, I say represented by this group because not everyone in the group is on these three benches. There are some that are in the back of the auditorium because of health reasons. There may be some who are not able to be here and may be listening in. In the message today, I would like to specifically encourage, express appreciation to the uh, elderly among us. Now, one of the dangers of addressing a specific group of people is that sometimes other people tend to say, well, I guess it's not for me, so they're just tune us out. And I would like to encourage each of you to um, not tune out this morning. Maybe you think, well, if you haven't yet reached the age of 60 or 70 or 80, this sermon isn't for you. But I'd like you to reconsider because we're all headed in that direction. And as far as I know, every one of us that's here this morning is one week older than what we were last Sunday morning. So we are all aging. We're all aging at the same rate. 
I understand that in the average human, about 50 billion cells die every day. So we're all in the process of dying. Uh, recently, I heard of a young person that uh, had an interesting response when someone asks, how are you doing? And the response was, well, I'm in the process of dying. And I guess we're all in that process. So uh, while this message is prepared specifically with the elderly in mind, I think there's truth uh, for each one of us. And the fact is, if we wish to have positive memories and be able to look back on a good life when we are older, we need to take the appropriate measures when we are younger. So the title of the message this morning is Aging with Grace. The first point is that we need to, or I'd like to encourage you, especially as older people, but all of us, to acknowledge your value. Acknowledge your value in the eyes of God. Now, there are various perspectives we are aware as we relate with different people, different perspectives. And as we look at the perspectives of our society today, we become aware that society tends to depreciate old age. They tend to give the impression that old people just do not quite have the value or not able to contribute much to society. They're not worth much. They're past their prime. They've served their time, they tend to say. And sometimes we hear phrases like, well, he's over the hill. You know, he's, he's past his prime, he's over the hill. Well, when you really think about it, being over the hill isn't really a bad place to be. It's all downhill from there. When you're going downhill, you pick up speed, you pick up momentum, and you actually have a lot more power and advantage than someone headed up the hill. So if you're over the hill, it's a good place to be. If someone tells you that you're over the hill, maybe they're just jealous, wishing they could uh, join you on your side of the hill. But our society tends to depreciate old age. And I would like to encourage you, do not buy into that. Do not accept society's opinion. Because on the other hand, the Bible places a high value on, a, on old age. And I'm going to be referring to quite a few different scripture verses this morning. Some of them I'll be projecting here. And my, my, my hope and my desire with this is that these verses can be a source of encouragement and a challenge as we move forward in life. The Bible places a high value on old age. Leviticus 19.32 says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the feet of man. I am the Lord. Now the hoary head simply means gray-haired, which is an indication of old age. And this verse indicates the respect that is to be given to people that have some years behind them. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. Honor the face of the old man. Fear thy God. Another verse, Proverbs 16, 31. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So if God has blessed you with gray hair, you are wearing a crown of glory, a symbol of of respect. Now note that the value of an old person here is, is somewhat based in their relationship with God and their faithfulness to God. It says that the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So maybe there is some truth to society's perspective for the unrighteous man. 
But for the righteous person, for the righteous, for the person who is faithful to God, the gray head is a sign of glory, a sign, a symbol of respect. If you remain faithful to God, you have nothing of which to be ashamed of as you grow older. Another verse, Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength and the beauty of old men is the gray head. Job 12, 12 and 13, with the ancient is wisdom and in length of days understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Does that sound like something to be ashamed of? Does it sound like something to be embarrassed about? I would say not. Something to look forward to. Something to be, uh, be joyful about. And another verse, Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I am he, and even to the whorehairs will I carry you. I have made, I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. This verse tells us that you are cared for by God himself. And what have you to fear if God is carrying you? That's a pretty outstanding promise. So the scripture places value on old age. And I would like to emphasize this morning that your value is not based on what you are able to do, but on who you are. Maybe you get to the point where you feel like you're just not able to do so much anymore. And that if you can't do much, you're not worth much. But that is not true. You're valuable in the eyes of God, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. And it's not even based on your accomplishment in life, but on your relationship with God. Maybe as you look back on your life, maybe it hasn't been all that you wish it would have been. Maybe there are some regrets. You cannot change your past, but you can focus on what God wants you to do and be now. So acknowledge your value. God and the scriptures place value on old, on old age. Secondly, appreciate the past. As you look back to the past, appreciate it. Because you have a wealth of knowledge and experience. And don't let that go to waste. I did a little bit of calculating, and if we would take all of the members of our congregation here that are 80 years old and older, and add their ages together, we have over 2,000 years worth of experience in our congregation, just from those who are 80 and older. That is a lot of experience. That is a lot of wisdom. That's something that we certainly don't want to go to waste. So... How should we appreciate the past? What are some ways in which we can appreciate the past? First of all, remember. Let's look back and remember God's faithfulness. How important is it to remember? When the King James Version of the Bible, the word remember is used about 150 times. So it must be fairly important. And it's just about that many more times other forms of the word like remembered, remembering, remembrance, and so forth. So it must have some significance. I'd like you to remember that remembering is a commandment. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. And down in verse 18, same chapter, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power. And note that these verses are not simply suggestions or recommendations. They are thou shalt. 
just like many of the other commandments in the Bible. And sometimes we could ask, what part of thou shalt do we not understand? We are told that we are to remember, remember God's faithfulness. The more years you have under your belt, the more years you have, the more of God's faithfulness you have the opportunity of looking back on and remembering. So we are commanded to remember. Remembering is a commandment. But furthermore, remembering gives us hope. Lamentations 3, there's a number of verses there that talk about God's faithfulness. And it talks about remembering. And as you are familiar with the book of Lamentations, you are aware that it's maybe a little bit of a, a gloomy book, a book of weeping, a book of, of looking at the situation as Israel was moving into captivity and um, lamenting about that. But in that, there is a glimmer of hope. And the writer here says, I remember my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. And maybe sometimes as you reach older years, you feel that describes your life. Your life is full of affliction. Maybe you feel like your life is full of misery. You remember the wormwood and the gall. However, in these times, God is calling you to remember. He says, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. He thinks back and remembers what God has done. This I call, recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope. You see, remembering God's faithfulness in the past gives us hope for the present and for the future. And he goes on to say, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I hope in him. Remembering God's faithfulness is a source of hope. So when time gets difficult, when times get difficult, and when there is affliction, that is a time to look back and remember all that God has done for you in the past, bringing you up to this point. When we remember God's faithfulness, we certainly have reason to hope. So as we appreciate the past, first of all, we need to remember what God has done for us. But then, what do we do as we remember? We need to remind others of God's faithfulness as well. Notice what Psalm 77 verses 11 and 12 says. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. So as you remember what God has done, remind others of what he has done. Share the excitement of God's faithfulness in your life. Psalm 78 verses 5 and 7, I don't have those verses projected here, but these verses talk about people who are passing on the message of God's faithfulness. I'll read the verses. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers. Notice that. That they should make them known. They should remind others. They should, they should tell others of God's faithfulness. So our fathers should make them known to their children. That's us. That the generation to come. 
our children might know them, even the children who should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. You see how we need to remind generation after generation of God's faithfulness to us. And then notice what it says next. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. You see, we are, are very forgetful people. And God reminds us over and over again to remember and to pass on what we remember to others so that they too can be challenged to keep his commandments, to follow in his ways. Now, how do we make this practical? And especially for those of us who are growing older, how can we not only remember, but we can remind others of what God has done? I I would like to just encourage you to feel free to share your testimonies. And when I say a testimony, I don't mean necessarily standing up in church and giving a testimony in that way, but it's just a matter of telling stories. Telling stories to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren. Tell them about God's faithfulness to you in difficult times. I think you have all had difficulties that God has brought you through and he has shown himself faithful. Tell those stories. Sometimes you've made mistakes. You've failed and you've learned lessons from that. Don't let those lessons go to waste. Tell those stories. Admit your mistakes and the things you learned through them. Maybe there has been times in which God has protected you in a special way. Tell these stories of God's protection in your life. There may be times you recall where God answered your prayers in a specific way. Tell stories of how God answered your prayers. Tell these stories to your children, your grandchildren, to your nieces and nephews, whoever it may be. And there may be, have been times when God revealed his will to you in a very specific way. You were searching for direction in life and God made known a direction to you. And I would like you to encourage you to keep these stories current. If you only tell stories from 50 years ago, the younger generation might get the impression, well, I wish God would be today like he was 50 years ago. But tell stories of what God is doing for you today as well. God is still real. God is still working in your life. So keep it current. Tell stories of what God is doing for you today. You know, we hear quite a bit sometimes about the fact that God has committed to us the ministry of stewardship. God expects us to be stewards of that which he has given to us. Material blessings, whatever it may be. God has given each of us many unique experiences and unique opportunities. And he has entrusted you as a steward with those opportunities, with those experiences, with those lessons that you've learned. And I encourage you as a steward, don't let those lessons go to waste. Don't bury the lessons that he taught you. Be a faithful steward. So as we appreciate the past, as we look back in the past at what God has done for us, let us remember, let us remind others, but furthermore, as we look back at the past, let us remain settled in God's faithfulness. Let the past encourage us to remain steadfast in God, in God's faithfulness. Psalm 16, verses 7 and 9 says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel, 
My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. You notice that steadfastness, that determination. God is faithful. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. And then the verses in Joshua 24. We just heard about the life of Joshua from Norman's sermons. And his testimony. He was reminding the people, but as he was reminding the people, he was expressing his commitment to remain steadfast himself. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And here's his commitment to remain. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think Joshua made that statement when he was 110 years old. He could have been old. He could have been frail. He could have been faltering in his faith. But no, he remained settled. And considering, looking back, considering and appreciating what God has done for you in the past is a tremendous source of strength and hope for the present and the future. So let us acknowledge your value. Let us appreciate the past. Thirdly, take advantage of the present. Each day is a day of opportunity. And I'd like to mention that a number of advantages or a number of things that you can take advantage of as older people, as we are growing older. Old age is a time of opportunity. Now, society might tell us that opportunity is gone. The opportunity comes with youth and with strength. But old age is a time of opportunity. It's a time of opportunity to share God's goodness, to bless others, and so forth. We mentioned some of that, reminding people of others, reminding others of what God has done for you. Old age is also a time of fruitfulness, a time of bearing fruit. Psalm 22, verses 12 to 15 gives the illustration of a palm tree. It says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And notice the next verse, or the next sentence. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. This verse indicates that old age is a time of bearing fruit. And as we grow older, I think we need to look for ways to increase our ministry and increase our productiveness, increase our fruitfulness, rather than to fall prey to the idea that I'm beyond the point of fruit pairing. Many of you are familiar with the name of Claire Schnook, a missionary in northwestern Ontario from the time of his youth. I think he's in his 80s currently. And he once made the statement that the most productive years of your life. And he was referring to productivity in ministry and reaching out to others, relating to others. He said the most productive years of your life should be the 10 years after your children are grown and on their own. I find that an interesting statement. Just think about that a little bit. After your children are grown, old enough to be on their own, it varies for different people. For most of us, 
By the time we reach 55 or 60 or maybe 65, our children are pretty much ready to be on their own. That gives us a special window of opportunity for the next 10, 15 years, whatever it may be. Think about it. Your children are not depending on you like they once were. Your debts are paid, or at least they should be. You have time available that you did not have before. You're no longer working to raise your family, to put your children through school, to pay off your house. You still have health for the most part. And furthermore, you now have experience and wisdom that you did not have 40 years before when you were younger. You see, young people have enthusiasm and they may think they have wisdom, but face it, they do not have experience. They do not have the experience that you have. So that is a tremendous time of opportunity. If you are approaching the age of 60 or if you are in your 60s, I'd like you to think about the opportunities that lie before you, the opportunities for service and ministry. And do not buy into the world's thing of thinking, well, I've earned my retirement. It's time to sit back and enjoy life. Just ride it out to the end. I know your grandchildren are a tremendous blessing, and you love to spend time with them. You love enjoying them, but life isn't just about what you enjoy. Life is about serving. I thought about giving this title, or this sermon, the title, Going Until You're Gone, borrowing a term from Gary Miller. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. Don't simply give up. When you're at the age of opportunity, that's what God wants us to do. Continue going. It may be time to move to a church outreach, or maybe commit to attending services in a community where a new church is being started. Need I say more? Maybe it's time to spend several years in missions somewhere. Or maybe it's time to go teach Bible school, somewhere at a Bible school. Well, you say, I can't teach. I'm not a teacher. Well, maybe you can cook. You say, well, I'm not a cook. Well, maybe you can go and serve on maintenance. The opportunities are wide open. If you're interested and not sure what you can do, just ask around. I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities. I'd be glad to help you make some contacts. Old age is a time of fruitfulness. Old age is also a time to give words of blessing. We find some examples of this in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 mentions two people who I believe were old. One of them was Simon. Now, it does not specifically say in this passage that Simon was old, but the indications are there that he was old. First of all, he was promised (coughs) that he would not die until he would see Christ, indicating that probably he was up in years. And furthermore, after he saw the Christ child, he made the comment, now I'm ready to die. I have seen the child. So the indications are that he was old. What did he do? At that time in the temple, he took this child in his arms and he gave a blessing. As old people, you have an opportunity to give blessings to others. Then there was Anna, also in the temple. Now, the Bible says specifically she was of a great age. I don't know exactly how old she was. She was of a great age, but she still served in the temple daily. 
And she also took the opportunity to speak of the Christ child, prophesied of him to all who would listen. I specifically remember older people in the church where I grew up who spoke words of blessing in my life. And I remember those people. I hold them in high regard to this day. You too can speak words of blessing to others, to young people, to youth, to young parents, a word of encouragement, people that are in the thick of life, to Sunday school teachers, school teachers, people with responsibility in the church, singles, widows. Just simply look for people to whom you can give a word of blessing. It may make a difference that you did not expect. Old age is also a time to get to know God better. It's a wonderful opportunity, a time to get to know God better. Face it, let's be realistic. As we grow older, the day is coming when you will meet God face to face. Do you long to see him? Do you know him? If not, there's no better time to get to know him than now. And if you do not long to see him, that may be an indication that you do not know him as well as you should. And perhaps you should get to know him better. You can get to know him better through prayer, spending time in prayer. The opportunities for prayer are endless. You know, as younger people, we feel like we're very busy and we feel like we're limited in the amount of time that we have to pray. But as you get more time available, you have more time to pray. Make use of that opportunity. And that can be a time of getting to know God better. You can pray intercessory prayer for people in the church, needs in the family, the church, the community. Pray for missions. Pray for world needs. And simply talk to God and commune with him. Get to know him better. This morning when I pulled into the church parking lot, I noticed two vehicles here when I got here. And one of them, I thought about it. Well, Jonas Kaufman is here. He beat me again. And when I walked in the door, shook hands with him, guess what he said? He said, I'm praying for you this morning. That was a blessing to me, just to know that he is praying. You have a ministry of prayer. Bible reading is another way you can get to know God better. The more time you spend in God's word, the better you will get to know God. You will never exhaust the riches of his word. Furthermore, old age is a time to focus on others. Now, I say this because I acknowledge that that can be a challenge. Because as we grow older... Our health decreases, our needs increase, and we tend to become more dependent on others. And the tendency may be to begin to focus more on myself as we need others to take care of us. You know, Paul made the statement, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. And I think we've probably all met people who seem to take that verse literally in a physical sense. You're with them for five minutes and they go down through the entire list of all their infirmities, every ache and pain they have in their body, which toe hurts, which tooth aches, which bones have rheumatism. 
And they go through this whole list. I'm not, I don't think that's what Paul was referring to. There are other people who you meet them and in a couple minutes you find out that they're interested in your life and what's happening in your life, what you're doing. They have a genuine interest. And it's not much of a question which are more pleasant to be around. And as we look at Paul's example, it's obvious that his focus was on others. His focus wasn't on himself. When he was told that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound, none of these things move me. I'm going forward. And his attention was still on other people. You read his epistles. He knew that his end was near. He knew that death was coming. He was just pouring out his life, ministering to others. Read his prayers. It's obvious that his focus was on others. Now, obviously, there's a time and a place for making your physical needs known and having them taken care of. But let's look at this as a time of focusing on others rather than simply on ourselves. Let's move on to the fourth main point. Appreciating the past, taking advantage of the present, but let's also anticipate the future. Now you might say, what future is there left to anticipate? Well, you have a lot to anticipate. First of all, God will continue to care for you on this earth where you are right now. Isaiah 46, verse 4 I think I referred to this verse earlier. It says, even to your old age, I am he. Even to the whorehairs will I carry you. I have made you. I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. You see, you are cared for by God himself. Does that thought give you reassurance? God will continue to care for you. But furthermore, I would like to encourage you that death is something to look forward to. We might not often hear it expressed in those words. But death is really something to look forward to. And I am, I'm, I'm speaking specifically from the perspective of those who have lived a, few, a full life and are ready to go. Now, I recognize that when young people face death, especially a young parent, a young father, a young mother, there's... There's always that degree of trepidation as we think about those we're leaving behind and the separation that it involves. And I'm not denying that. There's pain. There's sorrow. But at the same time, for the one who is dying, there is anticipation of joy. And there is a lot to look forward to. Death is not a morbid subject. It is something to get excited about. A couple weeks ago, we sang a, a hymn I think someone selected it in our time of singing after Sunday school. And I'd like to read the words of that hymn to you this morning. It's, it's found in number 988 in your books. There is a land of pure delight. And as we sang this hymn, it just kind of stood out to me how this emphasizes the, the beauty and the joy that awaits us while at the same time the fear that lingers about going there and how if we knew everything, that fear would disappear. There is a land of pure delight where saints immortal reign, eternal day excludes the night and pleasures banish pain. There everlasting spring abides and never withering flowers. Death, 
like a narrow sea divides this heavenly land from ours. Sweet fields beyond the swelling flood stand dressed in living green. So to the Jews old Canaan stood while Jordan rolled between. But notice the fear. But timorous mortals start and shrink to cross this narrow sea and linger trembling on the brink and fear to launch away. They fear the death. Oh, could we make our doubts remove these gloomy doubts that rise and see the Canaan that we love with unbeclouded eyes? Could we but climb where Moses stood and view the landscape o'er? Jor- not Jordan's stream nor death's cold flood should fright us from the shore. And I repeat, death is not something to fear. We need to look beyond death to what lies beyond that. I would like to encourage us to think that finishing the course is really a cause for rejoicing, a time of joy. I'd like to read the words of Paul, his testimony, and I'd like you to, to note uh, the, the notice, the note of joy that I think, the note of victory in his voice as he proclaims, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know, some people view death as defeat, as losing the battle, as the end. It's all over. Paul looked at death as a completion, as a victory, as a moving forward, as a graduation. And he wasn't looking forward to simply receiving a diploma but the crown, a crown of life. I remember visiting Raymond Kaufman, perhaps in the last weeks of his life. And he was dealing with this question of how much medical treatment should I pursue? And he asked the question as we were visiting with him. He said, just how hard should a person try to stay out of heaven? And I thought that was an interesting perspective. Just how much effort should we put forth to stay out of heaven? Now, obviously, the answer to that question will vary for different people, depending on the stage of life you're in, your circumstances, who depends on you, and so forth. But it it was uh, certainly a question for me to think about. Death is something to look forward to. And death leads to our final wedding day. We are the bride of Christ. We should look forward to being joined with our groom. You know, there's two events that bring families together probably more than any other. Weddings and funerals. And we tend to think of these two things as exact opposites, polar opposites. A wedding brings joy. A funeral brings sorrow. A wedding, you gain a family member. And a funeral, you lose a family member. A wedding is scheduled for months in advance. A funeral is not. It comes upon us suddenly. We think of them as opposites. But in reality, they're not as opposite as we think they are. There are a lot of similarities. A funeral should be a time of celebration, of celebrating a person's life and the faithfulness of God and the completion of his race. He completed the work that God gave him to do. And a funeral is a gain. For the person who dies, it's a tremendous gain. 
And furthermore, we tend to think of funerals as something that come up suddenly. But really, they don't. God has them planned long in advance. Hebrews, I think it's 9.27, says, It is appointed unto man once to die. He has that date set. It's an appointment that's set. It just so happens that we're not notified of the date until the time comes. One of the more joy-filled funerals, probably the happiest funeral I ever remember attending, was the funeral of Silvia Tadunicerio from Romania. Sylvia knew she was dying. Sylvia had never been married. And as she was dying, as people came to visit her, she would give them an invitation. She said, I want to invite you to my wedding. I'm going to have a wedding. Did you know I'm getting married? I want you to come. And when you come, I don't want you to wear black. I want you to wear white. I want you to come rejoicing. I want you to celebrate. And that's exactly what her funeral was. It was a celebration. Now, obviously, it was easier because she was not leaving a spouse behind. She was not leaving children behind. But it was certainly a joy-filled occasion, celebrating her life and her death, her wedding day, as she had the privilege of meeting her groom. Is it wrong to feel a slight tinge of envy? When you attend someone's funeral? I don't think it is. Live your life well. Live your life to the end, but anticipate the future. Final point of the message, accept the torch. Now, this point is more specifically to those of us who are not yet sitting in the front benches here, who are not as old, who are following behind. When there is a relay race, there is a baton that is passed from one person to another as each person takes his turn in running that race. And the team that wins the race is the team that was successfully able to pass that baton from one person to another and not drop it. And each person did his part in carrying the baton, every runner doing his part. Before the Olympic Games, there's a type of baton, a torch, that is lit in Olympia, Greece. And that torch is carried by many different people until it reaches the location where the Olympic Games are going to be played. Many people are involved in carrying that torch. And it's an honor to carry that torch. It's a privilege to carry that torch. And people do it with joy. They do it with pride. No one wants to drop the torch. And to those of you who are sitting back further in the congregation, these men and women in the front benches have been the backbone of our congregation for many years. They have taught Sunday school classes. They've served in many ways. They've taught Bible school here and at other places, CBS and elsewhere. They've served in missions, and they've served in many capacities that they may no longer be able to fill. And we need people who are willing to grab the torch and to carry that torch onward. And it's easy for us to think, but I'm not the same caliber person that those people are. I cannot carry the torch that they carried. I'm sure they felt the same way when they were younger. Some of us may think, well, I'm somewhat new here. I didn't grow up in this congregation. 
Well, guess what? Many of them did not grow up in this congregation either, but they accepted the responsibility. They carried it, and they moved forward, and they ran well. And I'm encouraging each one of you, regardless of your age, accept the torch as it's passed to you. Carry it well. Will you follow their steps? Will you be the person that the following generation can look up to and say, this person has been an influence in my life? And as you do that, I would encourage you also to recognize the influence of these older people. Recognize the influence they've had in your life. Thank them for it. Thank them for what they have done for you. And to the youth especially, I would like to encourage you to set a course now so that when you reach the end of your life, you can look back and say, I have run my course in well. Well, I have finished my course. I have finished the faith. Live now so that you can look back on a good life. I'd like to give the example of a man that I've known from childhood. This is a man that as a young father, he moved with his family to a church outreach into a community where there were no plain churches of any sort. And that is the community in which he raised his family. And I remember attending that church as a young boy and seeing the town drunk stagger into the church service during the time of a service and seeing how that man responded to that drunk and how he ministered to him and seeing his caring response to that man. This man that I'm talking about was very influential in the founding of Sharon Mennonite Bible Institute 40-some years ago. Very involved in the school for many years. He was influential in foreign missions, invested much of his effort, pouring out unmeasured effort into other countries, especially in Haiti. He traveled all over the country, preaching, holding meetings. And today his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren carry on his vision, his ministry. This man is now an old man. He's bent over with his years. He has Parkinson's disease. It's a struggle for him to get around. It's even a struggle for him to communicate. And life is not easy for him. Several years ago, I heard him share his testimony, his life story. And even at that point, it was a struggle for him. He, he wasn't even able to talk like he once was. But he made a statement that left an impression on me that I thought was outstanding. And this is what he said. They say it's no fun growing old, but I sure had a lot of fun getting there. He was looking back on his life. He said, yeah, old age comes with its difficulties. But he said, I look back on my life, and it's been a rich life. Now, he wasn't looking back on his pleasures. He wasn't looking back on all the entertainment that he experienced. But he was looking back on a life of fulfillment, a life he could look back and say, I lived a full and fulfilling life. And even though I'm struggling now, I have no regrets. I could have pursued fun and found emptiness, but instead he pursued service and he found joy. And my challenge to you as young people, 
is to live your life in a way so that when you reach the age of 80 or 85 or whatever it may be, that you can say, I've had a lot of fun getting here. In other words, I've had a lot of joy. I've had a fulfilling life. Don't fritter your life away on the frivolous, on that which will leave you feeling empty and disappointed. Going to close with the words of Paul, given in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. If you are able to do so, I invite you to kneel for prayer with us. (coughs) Father, we bow before you (coughs) this morning to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you never let us down. As we trust in you, you carry us forward through our youth, through our middle years, and even into our older years. You promise that you will continue to carry us. Thank you, Lord, for the things that we have to look forward to, the joy and the anticipation. I just pray that you could give us a a glimpse of eternity and heaven and the joy that awaits us and an anticipation, a holy anticipation for what is ahead. May our life be a challenge to those around us, an encouragement to others, and may it be a blessing to you from day to day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.